Hello, everyone, and welcome to another educational episode on Justin the Food Entrepreneur's podcast. I'm Justin Bazaar. I'm your host. And today I have with me my co-host again, Deborah Micus. How are you doing today? I'm well, thank you. Wasn't it weird that I didn't introduce you as a loving, kind, caring, and generous? Well, you kind of just did. Oh, yeah, I did. <laughs> <laughs> so today on our educational series, we have Lisa Harris back, the Director of Regulatory Compliance at Food Service Partners. How are you doing today, Lisa? Just fine, Justin. Thanks for asking. You're welcome. And today um, on this episode, we're going to be talking about allergens, which obviously is a huge topic in and of itself. But let's sort of dive right into it, at least I think after the last two episodes, everyone knows who you are and sort of what your background is. So let's talk about allergens and what they mean in the food service world. So allergens that we talk about in the food service world have to do with proteins that people have a medical allergy to which is different than a food preference, which we can talk about a little bit later. In the United States, we recognize eight major allergens, and they are egg, milk, wheat, soy, crustaceans, fish, tree nuts, and peanuts. Um, there's lots of other allergens. People can be allergic to many different things that have, a, as long as it has a protein in it, people can be allergic to it. I've heard of, um, now that they're using bugs as protein, that there are people who even have allergies to grasshoppers. It's sort of like a crustacean allergy. So if you have a crustacean allergy, you might be allergic to grasshoppers too, just FYI. Um, and that's in the U.S. Those are the major eight. Um, in the European Union and, and Canada as well, they also count another additional six allergens. And on their list is mustard, celery, sesame seed, lupin beans, mollusks, and sulfites. Um, and they count gluten instead of wheat to include rye, wheat, and oats. So um, they take our list and they expand it a little bit. And coming up in the U.S., we're looking at two of those items that are going to be listed all the time, and sometimes you're going to see them more and more, sulfites and sesame seeds. So right now, those two are sort of at the forefront of um, U.S. regulation deciding whether or not those will be on there, and you might be seeing them more and more because it's in the midst of happening. And is that because we're starting to see more allergies related to that or or is it just a, a, to keep up with the you know Europe or what what's the reasoning behind that um i think they they feel that the when there are many many people that are allergic to something that they really want to highlight it to make sure that people are safe um you know, I know people that are allergic to garlic or allergic to corn, that sort of thing, and, and they really have to keep their eye on that. Sometimes it's harder for them to find that ingredient um, in something, especially corn, because it can be hidden in other things. So they have a hard time making sure to stay away from that. So when you say corn, let's say, and it can be hidden in other things, do you mean that it's literally an ingredient in, let's say, a dip, or do you mean more like it's a corn feed that's fed to an animal and then you're eating that protein an- and th- that that animal had eaten the corn. That's an interesting question. So normally an allergen wouldn't be passed that way. It has more to do with like a derivative of corn, like a corn syrup, or there are other derivatives of corn that I can't speak to because we don't use them in our products. But they are out there, and they may have a different name that doesn't necessarily list corn. So you have to be cognizant, and when you do have a corn allergy, you have to know that's like... That's why they have us list allergens on there. Like milk could be listed as whey. Um, 
there are other ways to list milk if you list cheese. So that's why they're they're sure to make sure that you list that it has milk um, as an ingredient. And Another interesting. Go ahead. Is that in the contained statement then? Because a lot of food now has contains or is produced in a factory that has X Y Z. Right. So um, those are two interesting things. So yes, the contained statement. So regulatory compliance for labeling, it does have to have contains with a capital C and then the colon after contains. Um, and it needs to be in the same size font as the ingredient list and it needs to be adjacent to the ingredient list. So and then you list it in its form. But you don't have to have a contained statement. Another way that you can list your allergens is by in parentheses after the item, like say it has whey in it in parentheses after the way in the ingredient statement, you can put parentheses and put milk behind it, like kind of to make it bold. So it's clear that whey is a milk. So you can do it either one of those ways, but once you pick one way that you're going to do it in your product, like if you have a different flavor, you have to do it the same way in, in every item for that brand. So, I mean, at food service partners, for example, we obviously, we have seafood, um, we deal with shrimp and we deal with, um, I don't think we deal with nuts in particular, but we do deal with milk and we do deal with soy and we do deal with gluten and we, and eggs and, and things like that. So how do we contain all of that? I mean, how do you make sure that it gets in or do we just have to put it on every one of our labels that it's in a factory or in a plant that has it? So... Really, the USDA and the FDA frown upon those statements that say made in a factory that makes all these other things because they really want you to have processes in place that ensure that you are cleaning and sanitizing appropriately in between different allergens. So the proper process would be is like say that you're doing um, omelets and all your omelets have milk in them. Because there's milk in the egg. So the one, the plain one and the cheese one, you can make them without doing a full breakdown in between. But if you have one that adds a cheese that has soy or if you had one that added, let's say, a a biscuit and the omelet went on the biscuit, all of a sudden that would add wheat. Now, um, you could still either produce in that order where you made the plain and then the plain with cheese and then the plain with the soy cheese. Um, and then the biscuit with the soy cheese and the bit, um, so you can add additional allergens, but if you have a change in allergen, like you go from making eggs to making, um, bacon, let's just say, (laughs) (laughs) sorry, I was trying to think of something that didn't have eggs quickly. Uh, tuna salad came to mind, but that can have egg. So, um. If you, if you make that change, then you have to do a full wash, rinse, and sanitizing. And the reason why you, it's so important you do all those steps is because the washing loosens the, the allergen particles, and then the rinsing gets rid of the allergen particles. Um, and then, of course, you always want to sanitize your surfaces. So the thing of it is, is like you have to think about it like some companies, and, and, or sometimes I've seen where people just want to run sanitizer through the line in between items. You can't do that because... You can cook out, you know, bacteria and you can sanitize out bacteria, but the actual protein, the actual thing that makes an egg an egg, you can't cook away. You can't sanitize away. The molecules of egg are still there. 
And so you can't just sanitize that surface. You really have to wash it and rinse it. Does that make sense? So they really want you to be doing those processes. So I have seen lots of companies that do have that sort of general statement. We do have all eight major allergens in our facilities. Um, and so it's really important that your processes do everything. Now, if you were trying to do something that was like a certified gluten-free, let's say, you may want people to know that um, there is gluten in your facility if they had celiac disease and just a few molecules could make a difference. But um, in general, again, if you're going to be certified, you have those things in place that would make it so that it's not detectable in your product. So does that make sense? No, that makes complete sense. And so, I mean, give us a little bit. I mean, we isolate all of it. I mean, so I, I want to be transparent about it. I mean, how do we isolate out those allergens? One, so they don't cross-contaminate each other in, in a way. And how do we make sure they don't cross-contaminate other items that are in our facility? I mean, l let's talk about the process from, you know, a standard or standard operating procedures. How do we make sure to the best of our abilities that it doesn't get into other products um, beyond the sanitation? How do we store it? How do we make sure we check it out and check it back in? I mean, let's really dive deep into the process. So one good thing that you brought up, you called it cross-contamination. And in today's food safety world, we don't call it that anymore. It's called cross-contact. So when you're talking about allergens, you're talking about cross-contact. The first thing you want to do is you want to know all the allergens that you spec in your ingredients. That's the first point, is that you find out all the allergens that you have in your specified items. And you create a grid that shows, here is all of my items, um, and here's all, uh, all the allergens that are in them. We take it to the level of, and this was a big debate within our own company, but many times you see recalls where many, many times recalls happen because there's an allergen in the product that wasn't intended and wasn't labeled. Sometimes it's the wrong label on the product. That is what causes some of the recalls. A lot of times, though, what happens is that a sub-ingredient that a manufacturer uses to make their product has a change in its contained allergens. And the manufacturers who are making it, for example, if you're um, Uncle Ben's and you're making those seasoned rices and you make this certain kind of rice and it doesn't have soy, and then your R&D people get together and they've been hearing some complaints and they say, you know, we really could use some soy in here to do whatever they want it to do. Well, all that other rice you made prior and it's all really still good and it's shelf stable and it could be out in the market for two years. All of that doesn't contain soy, but now your new formula does. So it, it's not really right for manufacturers to have to say, Hey, everybody, there's soy in my new, in my new rice blend. They put it on the package. They let you know on your package or if you're buying, you know, sea containers full or, you know, truck full trucks full it'll be on the spec when you receive it but if you're smaller and you're starting out and you're buying a small one it's going to be on a case or on that 50 pound bag and so the moment for you to really catch it is during receiving for me just because then you're checking that label and that spec once you're not having to check it every time you use it in during production from that lot um but then you're making sure that what you're expecting to be in that rice is what is in that rice and you're doing that label check. So that's one point. Then, like you said, in storage, 
So with allergens, again, it's just like when in production when you when you build on allergens. You want to have allergen-free at the top. You can either do all of them completely separate racking systems and have all your non-allergen items together and then have all of your milk items together, all your egg items together. Or if you have a smaller space, you can do non-allergen items at top and then increasing. So maybe you have non-allergen on the top shelf and then you have something with egg on the second shelf underneath it and then you have egg and wheat underneath that and then you have egg, wheat, and soy. So as you add allergens, you can have the multi-allergen ones on the bottom. Or you can do them next to each other, not touching. With They cannot touch each other at all, and you need to have a decent amount of space between them. Another thing is, too, you never want to have, like, open product in your storeroom. So that way, if everything stays contained in its original package, you don't have to worry about flour flying or anything like that and contaminating the outside or possibly contaminating the other products. So that's what you would do in the storeroom. Well, let me ask a question there, and I, I want to continue on. But for the flour and stuff, if you have half an open bag, do I mean do we use plastic containers and stuff to then contain it so it isn't airborne? I mean, how does that work? Yes, that's what you do. So again, the open bag wouldn't stay in the storage area; it would be in a designated container that keeps it closed in a designated area, the production area. And then all the allergens need to be labeled, either where they are in the storeroom. Or where they are, if you do have flour in a bin, in a plastic bin, you should also have on there that it contains wheat right on the bin. So also, they want allergens all through the whip, you know, work in progress. So if it's labeled, if, if you have something that's going to marinate and you leave it there, and you know this is, you know, mama's special chicken, but it has milk in it because you do it in butter, you're going to say mama's special chicken with your, you know, your lotting information to track it, and then you're going to have what allergens are in there so that way somebody doesn't come along and not know what's in that item then the next thing you want to do when i talked about having the grid with all your allergens for your ingredients then you're going to have a grid of all your allergens for your finished goods or your sub recipes your sub goods so you'll have that so that way as you're designing your production schedule and your flow you can look at like allergens um, or building allergens and having separate different allergens on different lines. Um, if you're doing, again, if like say you're making sandwiches on a certain wheat bread, you know, all of the sandwiches are going to have wheat. So that's not a problem. But if some sandwiches have cheese and some don't, then you'll schedule the ones without cheese first. So you can use scheduling also as a control for allergen control. So you can use scheduling or you can use that whole sanitation, cleaning and sanitizing and always labeling is important. So everyone is really aware and you're not depending on tribal knowledge of your people that are working your facility to remember the allergens in every product. It's there for them. So it should be on your formula, you know, on your recipe formulas that you have or your bombs. It should be on there clear for everyone on your production sheets, on the requisitions. It should always be there for everyone. So they're always cognizant of what allergen is where and what ingredient and what finished good. So, Lisa, you mentioned, like, with the sandwiches, how you might start with a regular sandwich, and then the one that comes next would be the one that has cheese. So that's pertaining to, let's say, just a line of sandwiches. But what if you have multiple uh, items in production within the facility? Because we obviously have many, many things in production all the time. So do you have to take that into consideration as well when they're scheduling the production on the floor in terms of what's next to each other and all of that? Again, if you had anything that were to spray or to fly, 
you'd almost treat it like a broken glass and brittle issue mm-hmm. that you would stop production and anything that was questionably um, had cross contact, you would you would evaluate and then discard if you needed to, or you would divert for something else that did contain it. Okay. You know, um, it again. You um, and we do have facilities where we are testing where we do have items that have flour in them. But yet we do the 20 parts per million test to make sure that the product we're making that we want to be gluten-free is gluten-free. And we've been very successful. When you're designing kitchens, you can even design them with the positive airflow. So that that way, areas where you don't want allergens to come in, if you're afraid of them being airborne, that they won't drift into that room. But again, that comes with more advanced sanitary design when building new kitchens. People that are in older kitchens or share kitchens might not have been designed that way. And you just want to keep an area around you that you know it, it's not going to fly. But, I mean, that would be that way for anything. You wouldn't want raw chicken that someone who was slinging around and have it the raw chicken juice fly on something that was <laughs> ready to eat. So, I mean, it's sort of under that thing where you have to sort of have that understanding of what you're dealing with and, and what's around you. But there's no real set space. Sometimes if there's something really truly that you can't, you know, it really does fly or does float around. You want to have it barriers or have it segregated. And so with that being said, I mean, you also mentioned shared kitchens, which we are not. But, um, you know, so a small production kitchen, let's say, or a shared kitchen where people go and rent space to do their production, they don't necessarily know who's going to be next to them when they're producing. So do they have any issues in their labeling as to how they have to handle that or you know, let's say someone's making cookies next to them and they have another product that is a gluten-free product. I mean, are they, do they, is that just handled by then saying their ingredients are gluten-free and it's not certified gluten-free or how do they handle their allergens when they're not in control of everything in their facility? I don't know that the share kitchens, and, and again, like you said, we don't have them. Right. I'm pretty sure that with the share kitchens, I don't know that they work right next to each other. I, I think that they like have different time slots where you might, I get it now and then you get it later. Um, and so I would just make sure that the area that I'm coming into has been cleaned and sanitized. Um, uh, but again, un- unless they've got people over there that are just throwing flour, you don't really have to worry so much about those allergens traveling um, right. in, the, in the normal things. I mean, there's covers on the kettles. Um, you know, the ovens themselves are sealed. There's, there's not a lot of, and the steam is going to go up into the hood system. Right. Um, it really has more to do with contact surfaces and leaving a decent amount of space in between the stations. I mean, I wouldn't be doing peanut butter sandwiches, you know, peanut butter and jelly sandwiches on the same table next to, uh, you know, turkey and cheese or something. I definitely wouldn't have them on the same table, right. but to be in the same production areas, you know, that is allowed. And like I said, even with a lot of the things to say that it is gluten free, you can say something's gluten free, even if you, um, as long as the items don't contain gluten, the original ingredients. But again, it's your responsibility as a good manufacturer to make sure that your processes keep those other allergens out. Right. And will you dive a little bit into the whole gluten-free topic? Because for people who have celiac, um, they really need to be purchasing certified gluten-free, correct? Um, I won't say that I'm an expert on that, but I would say, you know, usually yes. Um, But like I said, we do have um, gluten-free items and we're not certified gluten-free. 
but we do test it and then we do say it's gluten-free. We don't like to claim things are gluten-free if it's not tested. But you're right, they could have, um, they potentially could have, if it's that serious of an issue, you probably would get want to get certified gluten-free if you have such a strong reaction. Right. And so I... I mean, so basically, I mean, in a nutshell, you're controlling that allergen from the moment it hits your dock. The minute it hits our dock, we identify it as an allergen. And then from there, the whole way it passes through our facility, regardless of if it's cooked or not cooked, it gets identified as an allergen all the way through. So, I mean, once the sandwich is sealed in a container, it can be near another sandwich that's peanut butter and jelly can be near a sealed container with turkey and cheese in it. But it's before it's sealed that we run into the issue. Is that correct? And even yes. a clamshell, I don't. I, I guess it's a sealed container at that point. Um, you know, usually you're there. There's something else to have them travel in, right? There's either going to be a tote or a case or something to that effect. Um, I have heard that grocery stores are trying to have more allergens segregated on their shelves, but from what I've seen so far, I haven't really seen it. Um, and again, those things are sitting on the shelves above other things. Again, we take it to another step, but if something were to break and get all over the other things, I'm sure they have things in place in order to clean up the allergens. There are some facilities like warehouses, a lot of times have color coding for allergens. Um, and then they use different color coded brushes based on whatever allergen they're cleaning up. So that way, when they go to a different part, they don't use that color in that area. Um, again, that's good when you have limited amount of allergens or, or a few. When you have multi-allergens and multi-products, you know, which color code broom do you use if you've got four allergens in your product? You know, do you use the, do yeah. you use the egg or do you use the right. weeder? So I don't personally partake in that and we don't practice that just because um, if we have other color coding that talk about, you know, fish or meat or danger and there aren't eight colors available in all those things and there are eight allergens so for those many reasons we do use color coding for lots of things but i don't use it for that because if i can't see a way to make something work and i can't you know hold us to it then um and like i said which one do you use for a multi so um yeah it makes it hard but it makes it it it's not just hard it makes it you know like if you're going to have you know 12 different things hanging on the wall um at every station for for every color that it could be and then anyway so um but there are things that you can do if you do have a smaller facility and you do have very limited allergens you could just have an allergen cleanup one versus something that's non-allergen or if you do have a gluten-free room and you're going gluten-free then you do have a color coded for gluten-free or if you're if you do have a peanut station um, then you do have a, um, you know, a certain station that like is purple just for that. But again, you can't, every allergen is, is different. So it's not just allergens. I have seen some places that they have just the purple knife and cutting board for all allergens, but there's eight different allergens. So every time you put meat, you know, put milk or put egg or put, you, you still have to follow the same process that you would on any other cutting board. Um, and it, you know, it's no cleaner because it's purple. Uh, 
<laughs> it's no safer because it's purple. So, but you know, there are people with ideas and there are people trying to make things easier for their staff and do things right. And, and if you can make it work in your process that, you know, that's good. So, um, I'm actually amazed by something and, and I want to, I'm going to go off on a little bit of a tangent, but knowing what I know in food and about allergens and it's not even close to how much Lisa knows, just so everyone knows <laughs> what I'm saying here, but in being in food and spending a lot of time in restaurants and, and, and being a part of restaurants and, and sales of equipment in restaurants for a long time. I am absolutely blown away that more restaurants don't segregate allergens, that they're not as conscious about it as we have to be in our facilities for, for retail and things like that. It just blows my mind. And it's almost like a lot of restaurants don't care about it. If it's got peanuts in it, they're using the same staging area as, as something else. And I mean, it's an interesting thing, right? It's enough of a problem that we have to do it for retail and we have to do it for hospitals and we have to make sure that we do it for for people out there but then you look at restaurants and they're less concerned about it if you will i mean they tell you it's in there but they're not as hypersensitive to it it seems as we are they the purple cutting board is a great example of it um and i that's not saying there aren't restaurants out there that don't do it it's just saying a lot of the times i'm surprised how much cross contact i guess of allergens there are in a restaurant I, I think you're right, but I, I think that there are a lot of restaurants that are that are doing well. I have to say that I have a friend that had a food allergen that I went out to dinner with recently, and it was actually, I'm going to tell you what it was, because it's, when you think about how this server did it, it was really amazing. It was medieval times, <laughs> and here I am sitting with my friend, and, and you know how they are. They come out with this whole tray of food, and they're passing out, you know, with the tongs for everybody, and my friend had a corn allergy, and so the, the waitress, like, found out from her what was happening and actually brought a separate set of tongs to pick up. I think they used one tong that touched the corn and the potato. And she brought a separate set of tongs just to pick up my friend's potato. So wow. it wasn't the corn tong that touched the potato. So I think what you, I know what you're saying, Justin, but I don't know if it's that they don't care. I think it's more lack of knowledge. Um, and also maybe, you know, um, lack of, um, knowing how, and it, it, yeah, lack of knowledge, and and maybe even you know the regulatory people from the state maybe aren't as hard on them um, a, as we're seeing at a higher level. But um, I think that they, if they knew and understood more, that they would be more willing to comply. Which is again, like we're talking about, you want people to believe in what you're trying to get them to do, and one way to do that is to inform them why they're doing what they're doing. It helps make employees better, you know. It, accomplishing those little daily tasks with such fine detail. Yeah, I agree with that. If they understand the risk or the life, um, the death possibility, I guess, is um, people become more aware of it. If they don't quite understand that, then they're they're not as careful about it. I agree with that. And I didn't, I, I think it came out wrong, but I, I'm not sure what I'm trying to say. If you just, it's less of a concern because they're producing food and not as many people have the allergies. It's, I don't know. I can't explain it, but you know, the purple cutting boards, the, the sensitivity to things like that, I think are less, but I do agree with you. I think it's an education thing. And I think it's uh, a risk versus reward type thing also where I don't know. I rarely, you know, being 
that I have a sensitivity to gluten and a sensitivity to potatoes, I sort of just order it off the menu. I don't actually let the restaurant know. You know, it's like, okay, there's mashed potatoes. Can I get two helpings of asparagus? You know, so I think that the individuals, when it comes to restaurant ordering, now that I think about it, I think we know enough, the ones who have the allergies, not to order those items and to be careful. And are they cross-contacting surfaces? I mean, maybe a little bit here and there. I don't know, but... Um, I think if you really do let them know about the allergens, a lot of them are, are going to do it well. I think if they don't, it's like you said, you know, if you if you pick up the corn and the and the potato and hand it, you know, out to everyone because they're getting both, no. you maybe won't think about it. But um, but I think if they're aware, they, they can do well. And I think you're right, too, as a consumer, if you're going to a restaurant where you have a sensitivity or an allergy to something and you keep not feeling well after you eat there, you're not going to go there anymore. And so restaurant owners and food manufacturers need to keep that in mind, that if you want to have that section of, of consumers and you want to be able to reach them and sell your product to them, you need to make sure to cater to their needs. Um, and some of it legally you must, and some of it is, is, is like you said, you know, um, just being cognizant and making sure that, that people are, are safe eating your product and comfortable eating your product. I agree. And so, Lisa, I mean, we covered a lot here. Um, I mean, is there really, I want to sort of give you the floor. Is there something that you want to share when it comes to allergens and, and that you prepared for for this podcast that you would like, you think would be important for everyone or you'd like to share? Um, one thing I will say that, I guess two little ones. One is to make sure if you're listing the crustaceans, the fish, or the tree nut, Remember that you have to list the subspecies behind it. So if you have tree nut, then you need to have the parentheses behind it and have walnut. Or you need to have fish, and behind it you need to have red snapper. You can't just say fish. Um, so that is something to keep in mind. Another one that's sort of funny that I, that I would say that even we do is, in the United States, the major aid allergens are crustaceans. Um, but that does not include, you know, clams and oysters or mollusks. So that's why Europe has that listed separately. So it is sort of interesting if you do have that allergy to mollusks, shellfish may not necessarily cover that. So you need to keep your eye on that. And then another funny one is one time we had this auditor come in and he lifted up a jar of nutmeg and he said, why don't you have this marked as an allergen? And he was testing us and I was like, nutmeg is not an allergen. It's not a nut. And so he laughed, but he was one of those that's trying to teach you and see your, your knowledge. And so I would say that too, you know, if you're not sure, um, you know, palm oil is not an allergen, even though it comes from the palm tree and you're thinking coconut, you know, coconut is a tree nut allergen, but palm oil is not. So if you're not sure whether or not an item that you have contains, or if it is an allergen, there's lots of information, you know, again, don't trust every site that you see, but there are a lot of reputable, um, reputable sites that you can go to that will um, tell you, you know, what things are certain allergens. So. Awesome. I Thank you, Lisa. Point. And uh, we'll have to figure out three more topics to do another educational series down the road for sure. So <laughs> okay. put you on the spot. And I think we've, there's a lot of sub things in there that we've discussed over the last three episodes that I can think of that that would be fun. Um, do you have anything else, Deborah, that you have? I think we're, one of the topics should be organics. But. Yeah, I agree with you. <laughs> and uh, that's a whole big topic in and of itself. Lisa loves yes, that topic. Oh, <laughs> yes. 
I yeah. love arguing with people about that topic, about how they want to put organic on their product and not be certified organic. Uh, right. I know. It's one of those things. And uh, <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, I think we need an episode for that. For sure. For sure. So thank you everyone for listening in and all the support in all the countries and the tens of thousands of downloads we've had so far. I appreciate everyone. Um, actually, I think we're over 100,000 downloads, I said the other day when we were looking. So that's pretty impressive. And uh, thank you, everyone, for listening in, uh, joining us, and supporting us. Please continue to share and, and pass along what we're doing. Everyone have a great day, and enjoy your weekend. Thank you. Thank you.